look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. This land is your land. This land is my land. From Bona Vista to the Vancouver Island. From the Arctic Circle to the Great Lake Waters. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli and my co-host here dressed in a sweater. Yeah. Dave well, Popwich, how are you doing, my friend? It's getting warmer. It's getting warmer, but uh, I'm still cold from the last month, buddy. Well, because your bones and you're old. I'm and old and crickety, and the, that's right. It happens with that. Look into your future. You, you know the routine. Every you year know the you routine. tell me that, and every year you're right. <laughs> my knees are hurting, and I'm thinking about you. Coming out of bed, my knee was hurting, and I'm like, Popovich. Yeah, you got a sleeping oh, injury. Get used to it. <laughs> I never knew you could get a sleeping injury. <laughs> oh, you can get sleeping injuries. You introduced injuries. me to that. All right. We'll, well, you, we'll do a show on sleeping injuries one day, but that's not today. Do you know what else is in the pain of the sides of all Canadians? I do. Overpaying taxes. Uh-huh. And especially when you transition to retirement, paying too much tax is a big problem. And so we're going to have um, our our tax expert, yep. Jamie Golenbeck, will be on the show talking about uh, ways to save your, your tax bill. Uh, in retirement. Yeah, and I want people to tune in for this because I don't think most people understand how many different types of income, cash flow sources you have in retirement. And there's a ton of confusion around uh, you know, how different things are taxed, yep. right? So this is not insignificant. It's not a sort of a cursory issue to be thought about. Most people just don't understand how that works. Now, we've also on the show uh, today is going to be a really fun, uh, interesting show for sure. Uh, maybe fun for some, but we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna, we've got a little sort of homegrown political problem uh, that's been brewing here. Uh, that we want to talk a little bit about That's around Eston Lavalin, some drama around this. I never knew three letters that you could say in downtown Calgary could really get a lot of people upset, and that's SNC, and they all start getting upset about this stuff. So I, yeah. you know, we need to talk about it. We need to address yeah. what the concerns are, what are some of the uh, thoughts behind that. And, and we also want to find out, or I want to find out, uh, because we did have some comments, which I'll refer to later, from the CEO of the Bank of Nova Scotia uh, in Calgary this past week. Um, you know, dealing with pipeline and gas, uh, oil and gas infrastructure, and that this isn't just an Alberta problem, this is a Canadian problem. I want to find out a little bit about whether or not the rest of Canada maybe understands, uh, or to what degree they understand that this is a national issue, not just an Alberta issue. Yes, and although this is being mainly uh, broadcasted in Alberta, we're going to take this clip and we're going to send it to everybody. I'm going to blast this, uh-huh. this, uh, this interview specifically, all across the country. Mm-hmm. I will pay to to push this out. <laughs> I think it's an important matter on these two issues, SNC and pipeline. So, of course, we got to get some experts, some viewpoints on how Absolutely. how this is all Im- impacting Canadians. Well, we're really fortunate to have for the next couple of sec- uh, segments on the show the Honorable Michelle Rempel, PC, MP Calgary, Nose Hill. Michelle, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Okay, um, I'm interested what it's like in Ottawa these days. We've we've got we've got a little bit of drama happening um, with you know around the SNC issue and what pressure, if any, was applied and was it inappropriate? Maybe you can give us a sense of uh, of what it's like in Ottawa right now. I think it's important to contextualize the level of national issues that we're facing while this scandal is unfolding. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, for me, I'm concerned about Bill C-69. This is a bill that uh, has been referred to as the No More Pipelines Bill. That's going through uh, various stages of reading. We're trying to stop that bill. Uh, You've got the issue of tariffs uh, with the United States that are unresolved, um, the issue of Canadians being detained in China, uh, NAFTA, uh, the, the second uh, version of NAFTA, whether or not it's going to be ratified in the U.S. 
um, you know, s- serious economic decline uh, data that has come mm-hmm. forward, unemployment in Calgary. So there's all these fires that are burning. And what are we focused on in Ottawa? This major scandal that the prime minister has found himself in related to allegations of ob- obstruction of justice. So, you know, for me, the, the, what's happening in Ottawa, it's we've got really serious issues facing the country, and it kind of feels like the, the ship is adrift. And, uh, you know, we're, we're now at the point, I, you know, I can't, I can't recall a situation like this sort of in recent history where we've got the leader of the opposition basically calling for the resignation of the prime minister and, you know, media headlines almost saying the same thing. So uh, it's very serious. Uh, you know, we, we might sort of joke about it a little bit, but it's, it's really not a joke. It's, it's quite serious. And um, we, we need to we need to solve it for the for the sake of the country. What do you think is is the going to going to come out of this? Because it, it, I don't think the uh, prime minister is going to step down. I don't think uh, we're going to have that kind of a uh, an effect happening in Canada. So let's let's go through what you you feel is the, the most highly probable outcome from this. Well, we have called uh, the Conservative Party has called as well as the New Democratic Party for um, I believe an RCMP investigation as well as yeah. a public inquiry. Um, this is important, I feel, because. What's being alleged here has long-term implications for the independence of Canada's judiciary. Uh, the reason why the, the the public prosecutor's office was established by Stephen Harper in 2006, it was in the wake of the uh, scandals that had sort of plagued the previous Liberal governments. There should be no political interference in the judicial system, and that's why that arm's-length mechanism was set up. What you've got happening here right now is essentially allegations that the prime minister was trying to work around that and interfere. And so that we need to get to the bottom of that from the RCMP perspective. It can't just be as we've seen over the last several weeks. You know, he said, she said, uh, Justin Trudeau, Jody Wilson-Raybould, no, none of her evidence has been refuted yet. Uh, the liberal majority on the Justice Committee has voted against having Jody Wilson-Raybould back to the committee after um Gerald Butts, the principal secretary to Justin Trudeau, testified. It's clearly more diligence needs to be done. Uh, I think the prime minister's press conference that happened this week, uh, it really did not help the situation. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, so, so this needs to be this needs to be addressed by the RCMP. We've been trying to recall Parliament. Uh, we made that call early this week. We're on a two week recess, which couldn't have happened more conveniently for the Liberals. Uh, because this needs to be addressed in Parliament as well. So, uh, you know, that's kind of where we're pushing things to go. Unfortunately, you know, the Prime Minister, this is a lot of his calls. I I think a lot of people had hoped that he would, um, you know, certainly remove the head of the public service, Michael Warnock, uh, agree to an RCMP investigation, and even agree to the recall of Parliament uh, to address some of these concerns. But we haven't seen that. So more pressure needs to be applied. Well, you've, I think you've properly characterized this as both an important issue, but it's a bit of a sideline issue when we consider, from a bigger perspective, a national perspective, the country's competitiveness, uh, the slowdown on the economic data, uh, you know, and, and the other issues that you've talked about. So there's a number of things that are going on right now. Uh, we'll watch with interest to see how this obviously plays out, this particular issue. But um, maybe prioritize for us, in your mind, the, you know, the bigger issues that we, we should be addressing from a national level about some of the the problems we face in this country? Well, you know, I've seen the job numbers this week out of Calgary. I think Calgary now has the highest rate of unemployment in the country. 
that is um, stunning and remarkable. And there's really no reason for that outside of the uncertainty that's been put in place in terms of the investment climate for Canada's energy sector. Canada's energy sector should be the most competitive jurisdiction in the world. We, you know, ostensibly live in a free country that should be free from political interference or strife. It should be a safe and secure and stable place to do business. But, you know, the government's inability to uh, take political leadership on building energy infrastructure as well as some of the uncertainty that they've added to the investment climate through Bill C-69, C-42. These are, again, those bills that uh, really make the regulatory environment for investment in the energy sector very muddy. That that needs to be addressed. I mean, and it's not just affecting Alberta. This is not a regional issue. This affects the national GDP. It affects government revenues. It it affects multiple uh, industry sectors across the country. Uh, and, and, and to me, that is, as a Calgary MP, that, like, and it's low-hanging fruit. Then I think, you know, you used the term competitiveness. This is something that uh, is very concerning writ large to every industry in the country, any worker. Uh, the fact that the United States is eating our lunch uh, when it comes to regulatory reform and, and taxation reform, it's, a much, it's becoming a much more, comparatively speaking, attractive jurisdiction for investment, and that is not good. We're seeing labor uh, move to the U.S., uh, capital certainly uh, invest there as opposed to Canada. And then also affordability. Uh, you know, in the, in the opening to this segment, you talked about uh, taxation burden. We've seen taxation burden increase uh, across the board in Canada, uh, certainly, you know, the carbon tax, um, some of the small business tax changes that came into play, uh, CPP and EI premium changes. Um, these are all happening while the economy is slowing down. We're not seeing a lot of growth. And government revenue is decreasing because of what's happening in the energy sector. So, you know, energy sector, uh, competitiveness, uh, affordability, these are all issues that need to be addressed. I could talk about a million other things, you know, in, in terms of foreign affairs. But in terms of domestic policy, that is, those are issues that are just not on the radar for, for the Trudeau government right now. And, uh, and that needs to be rectified. Okay, so we have to go to a break, Michelle. We're going to come back. I'm going to talk about pipelines again. I want to get more detail about that. And I also want to chat with you about um, why are we not diversifying um, here in Alberta? I know it's part of it's a provincial issue, but I, I, I want to know what the federal government, I have some opinions on that. I want to share it with you, get some responses on that. Sure. But uh, we'll come back after the break on that now. We are also hosting a seminar, Dave, on Tuesday, March 26th at the Four Points Sheraton Hotel in West Calgary. We're going to talk about how these types of economic issues will impact people's retirement in the future. Right. So you need to reserve your seats. Our 7 p.m. session is full. But we've opened up an 8.30 session, so you can give us a call at 966-8400 to register. That's 966-8400 or go online to morethanmoneyradio.com. Okay, join us after the break, and we'll continue the conversation with the Honorable Michelle Rempel, specifically around pipelines and some strategies that we can implement. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money, and we're talking politics, scandal, opportunity, competitiveness, and pipelines, and we're going to get uh, to pipelines in a minute. I want to read you something, Faisal, because we had um, the CEO of the Bank of Nova Scotia uh, was speaking last week. Okay. Uh, in Calgary. At the Chamber of Commerce, right? Chamber of Commerce, Calgary yep. Chamber of Commerce. And he's warning all Canadians will, his words, pay a price as the country struggles to develop pipelines and other crucial infrastructure for the energy sector. He went on to say, as investment, I'm quoting here, as investment dollars shift to other jurisdictions and countries and com- uh, Canadian competitiveness lags, we all pay 
a price. Now, I think we're acutely aware of that in Alberta. Not sure the rest of the country seems uh, to be aware of this. We have seen some very weak economic data, in part because of exports. In part, those exports are influenced by oil and gas. Mm-hmm. So there, you know, this is a national. We've got a national. I think we have a national problem uh, on our hands, and I don't think that there's been a tremendous amount of leadership in order to create competitiveness, diversification, diversity in the. Well, in the, the federal government, Dave, has not called this a national emergency. No, I know. I know. They've not called this a national emergency, and that's why I'm glad we have, you know, the Honorable Michelle Rempel, the MP from Calgary Nose Hill, on with us. Michelle, you know, the pipeline issue. He- here's my take: in countries like the United States or other major um, Western nations, democratic nations, when they have an industry that they believe in, they put their chips in that industry. The U.S. have done that with technology. The U.S. has done that from a government, from a national government support on healthcare. Those healthcare companies, pharma companies, right or wrong, have made a lot of big influence in the world. Here in Canada, we really don't build stuff that the world wants. What they, we, we do have is natural resources that the world could use, and we have a big problem in this country, regardless of party. No one's put all their eggs or all their chips on the on the natural resource sector. What's your take on how are we going to solve this pipeline issue? Because we need to solve it. And what do we do if we're not going to get this pipeline thing issue figured out? What do we need to do to bring more different types of industries and businesses into this country where we become the product of choice, not the ramification of other countries? Well, prior to entering politics, my background was in um, technology commercialization. Uh, you know, I did a lot of work um, commercializing and helping to develop early stage resource uh, research at uh, you know a couple major Canadian institutions. So I was involved in this conversation prior to entering politics. And you know, what's, what's always struck me is that when we talk about economic diversification, there's this. I think that there's a sense that somehow the government can just you know find a magical pool of cash and then grant its way to the economy to to diversification. And in reality, that's not how things work. So I think we need to start looking at Canada's place in the world from an economic perspective a little bit differently when we're talking about diversification. So first of all, we we have to be an attractive jurisdiction to do business. And what does that mean? Uh, We have to have you know, a, a talented and diverse uh, labor supply that, that stays in Canada. That's a problem in Alberta right now, certainly as we see people leave because of the downturn in the economy. So how do you diversify the economy when our talent is leaving? Uh, so, you know, immigration policy and, and retention factors into that. Then we have to be an attractive place to do business. That means, you know, especially when we're looking competitive or comparatively at the U.S., what is our taxation rate? What's the complexity around regulation? What is the, um, the, the political stability when it comes to review of major pro- progress? Even interprovincial trade is a problem in Canada right now, right? Um, those are all the macro level issues that this government has sort of not only just turned their focus away from, but have, have favored more interventionist policy in terms of you know, we see these billion-dollar programs coming out of the industry department, like the quote-unquote supercluster program. I've always been skeptical of these programs, like having lived in that ecosystem before. You know, you see a lot of, you know, well-intentioned consultants and stuff getting long-term contracts, but does it actually create business growth over time? You know, I think one of the biggest uh, determinants 
to uh, investment and economic diversification happened last year when the government, the federal government uh, under Trudeau announced the small business tax changes. I mean, that put a chill on small business investment and diversification. And, and lastly, I'll just close quickly by saying I don't understand why we can't develop the energy sector. A lot of people go into this conversation around diversification, like somehow the energy sector is a bad thing that we should shy away from. Canada's energy sector develops carbon in a responsible, environmentally sustainable way, more so than other jurisdictions. We should be promoting that. And even if we're looking at the transition to a carbon economy, we still need carbon right now. So how do we take how do we attract that capital, that investment, that labor, that talent into Canada so it becomes a receptor sink or a receptor capacity to build other uh, industries around, like even technology adoption, right? You can't adopt technology if we don't have an industry to adopt into. So that, to me, is where the conversation needs to be rather than just like, okay, well, we need another $100 million fund. That When a government starts measuring success, on the economy by the amount of tax dollars spent as opposed to the number of jobs created, we have a problem. And that's what you see both with the NDP government in Alberta and the federal government under Justin Trudeau. Yeah, well, we, need, we need to get a culture, um, you know, across the country that allows people to get things done. You know, again, I'm going to go back to um, what Brian Porter said in his speech last week. One of the things he lamented about in, in, in the speech was Canada's inability to say yes. And, Michelle, you're talking about that from a regulatory environment. I mean, how much foreign capital have we seen leave our province? Because it can go anywhere and from an oil and gas. It's global from an oil and glass, gas perspective. And it's, if it's too difficult uh, to get to yes under our regulatory environment, then there's other places it can go, right? It will go. It, and it has gone, right? So we, we've seen that. But I think our government federally and to some degree provincially have already said yes yes to we don't want to be in the energy game anymore it's, it's to what you yeah what'd you say yes to correct and and <clears throat> barack obama was here yep was just about to say week. that yeah we saw him speak, and he yeah. made he made a comment mm-hmm. that uh, caught my attention and the way he said it he got an applause for it and the, what he basically said from was, some from some yeah um what he basically said was like it or not things are changing right and if you're driving your pickup truck, and I think he should have been warned that a lot of people drive pickup trucks here in this in the city, um, that you have to be prepared that things are going to change, and alternative energy or different ways of getting power are on its way. Right. So either fit in or not, it's going to happen. And and he got a he got an applause for that. And what I think people didn't realize is this whole province is primarily based upon this country has a lot of dependency on us being an exporter of energy. Right. And Which the world still I, needs, he said. The world still needs it. We can do it now. responsibly. Correct. We have to diversify, right? But again, we need some leadership. Correct. We need we need a plan into the future We need diversify. leadership and vision not only to get the energy working now, but also the concept of what's going to happen 25 years from now and right. those people who are going to be displaced, Dave. And Michelle, there are going to be a lot of people, if this energy... Um, change happens to alternative fuels and we start to adjust over time because we're going to. We have no choice. It's going to happen. There's going to be a lot of people that are going to be kicked out of a job. Same with those coal plant workers you know, who will be kicked out of a job. How do we retrain those people? That's where you're going to have a lot of anxiety say, against it. I'm going to say, whoa, 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 for a second here. Okay. Um, first of all, um, you know, Barack Obama gets paid a lot and has a lot of money to come and, and give a very sort of I'm just going to say elitist opinion on carbon usage. Right. Um, so, so number one, 
the reality is, if you look at the demand modeling over the next 20 years, global demand modeling for carbon, even when you factor in externalities of projected adoption of like electric cars and it, it, it doesn't materially change. So like, I think, you know, when somebody comes in and says like, oh, this is going to change tomorrow, you actually have to look at the event horizon. And I haven't seen a lot of data that shows that global demand, especially in emerging economies, although I'm not sure you'd call it emerging anymore, like big economies like China, India, they're still carbon intensive. So there's a need for energy. So the first question is, how do we develop carbon, which frankly is still, any scientist will talk to you, it's the most efficient way of getting energy as a carbon molecule, right? How do we do that in an environmentally responsible way? And that's where Alberta and Canada has a huge role to play in the global demand. So there's that. So we can't, you know, sort of over, uh, like, hyperbole can't lead to panic and, and government intervention that doesn't, isn't required. Now, should we be transitioning? Okay, let's have that conversation. But that, like, again, going back to what I just said, why in Alberta can't we be using the natural resources and the technology that we've been blessed with that allows us to develop carbon in a responsible way to be part of that conversation? So I just, I kind of reject that. The last thing I'm going to say is, you know, it's just such a rich, you know, elitist position to have. I mean, Canada already has 75% of our electricity production from renewable sources or non-emitting sources compare that to the U.S. Barack Obama did not do much to change his country's profile. Um, A lot of the conversation around uh, carbon emissions uh, has not been around binding contracts on the United States, China, India. So, and and frankly, the last thing is, is trade. I mean, we're talking about all this transition and what happens for Canadian workers. Well, you had Justin Trudeau a couple of years ago going out trying to start a free trade agreement with China. And I mean, purchasing goods from China, which has one of the biggest emissions intensiveness in the world, I mean, at a, on a free tra- tariff-free trade basis, I, what? Yep. So I'm just saying, like, whoa, um, everybody sort of launches up the, you know, sort of conspiracy spiral when we have to pull it back, look at data, and then come up with public policy on a 20 to 30-year term, rather than assuming that everybody's going to be displaced. There's only one reason energy sector workers have been displaced in Alberta. And that's because of poor government policy under Justin Trudeau. And I just reject that approach. Well, keep up the work in Ottawa for us, Uh, Michelle. You're doing uh, a good job representing uh, Calgary Nose Hill. And I appreciate your time and your thoughts and your input today. Thanks for the conversation. I've been joined by the Honourable Michelle Rempel, PC, MP of Calgary Nose Hill. Uh, Faisal, we've got a a seminar to talk about now. Uh, Like it or not, uh, politics plays a role in uh, in Canada the experience that we have but we you know we do have the ability to talk about investing money outside of Canada mm-hmm. diversifying properly yep. so on and so forth and we're going to talk about all of those issues at our upcoming seminar yep on Tuesday March 26th 8:30 p.m. at the Four Points Sheraton Hotel in West Calgary you need to reserve your seats give us a call 966-8400 that's 966-8400 or you can go online to register at morethanmoneyradio.com You may be shocked to find out how many sources of income you could potentially have in retirement and the various taxation on that. Tune in at the next segment. We're going to discuss all of that and more. You're on 770 CHQR and more than money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and more than money. Uh, Coming up on tax season, Faisal, you know, we we talked to a lot of people about lifestyle. Lifestyle requires uh, income. You got to spend money. 
Nobody lives on pre-tax income when I last checked. We all lived on, live on after-tax income. Well said. Okay. And um, not all cash flow is created equally from a tax perspective. And I don't think m- many Canadians understand how their retirement mm-hmm. income will be taxed. So let me, let me, there's a report that CIBC did, and we're going to ha- invite Jamie Golan back in just a minute in the conversation. But in this report I was reading, 74% of respondents said that they worry about having enough income in retirement. That didn't surprise me. We have those conversations all the time. All the time. Okay? The majority of respondents didn't know how retirement income is taxed. So I thought, well, wait a minute, that, uh, that catches our attention, right? Mm-hmm. We don't live on pre-tax, we live on after-tax income, right? And proper tax structure is probably more effective at ensuring you've got cash flow than it is to try to figure out what Donald Trump's going to tweet <laughs> over the weekend and how it's going to affect your investment portfolio. Amen. Okay. Amen. <laughs> so, <laughs> as I said, uh, Jamie Golenbeck is going to join us uh, in our conversation again today. He's a Managing Director, Tax and Estate Planning, CIBC. Jamie, welcome back to the show. Pleasure. Thanks for having me back. Okay, um, 10 minutes, I'm not sure we're going to be able to do justice to this, but perhaps we can hit on some of the highlights here. Um, maybe we'll just start with a, an open-ended question for you. Explain to us so, how some of the key retirement income is taxed. Sure, so we actually did a, a poll, and we actually surveyed uh, Canadians who are in retirement or about to retire, and we asked them, like, what type of retirement income do you expect to have? And not surprisingly, number one, of course, was CVP, Canada Pension Plan, 85%. Then came the OAS, of course, Old Age Security, followed by RSP withdrawals, then maybe some TFSAs, a pension plan, some RIFs, and then, you know, there's some other stuff as well, non-registered inheritances and gifts. So one of the things that people were not absolutely certain about was how different types of income are taxed. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, most of it is just purely taxable. Uh, Some amounts are completely tax-free, obviously, like TFSA withdrawals. I think people certainly did understand that. But also, people didn't realize that there are some planning opportunities that you can do uh, when you're in retirement. And and that's why we wrote a report to sort of talk about uh, some of those particular uh, tax planning ideas as well as tax credits that are available to retirees. Well, and I think we need to pick it up there. Um, Just right off the bat, you know, when you were listing the various sources of retirement income, I bet that caught a lot of people's attention, Faisal. Like, there is a whole bunch of different kinds of of cash flow that you're going to receive and a whole bunch of different kinds of uh, cash flow that will be taxed in different ways, right? And so as Jamie listed those things off, people, I'm sure, were going, holy cow, I didn't realize there were so many potential sources. Jamie, let's give you an opportunity and talk a little bit about some of these, uh, the strategies, right, or the tax planning opportunities when people are thinking about you know, pulling the pin, and I now need to live off these various sources of income. What should they be thinking about? Sure. So let's start off with uh, sort of tax credits. So again, we um, we surveyed people, and um, for example, the pension income credit. So less than one in four people in our poll knew that they could actually get a credit on two thousand dollars a year of eligible pension income. So what is eligible pension income? So it's the normal stuff that you might think about, like stuff from a registered pension plan. Let's say you're a retired teacher or government worker, and you're getting a you know, a regular pension. That's obviously is pension income, regardless of age. But pension income also includes a withdrawal from a RIF. Now, you've got to be at least 65, but it does not include a withdrawal from an RRSP. So one of the strategies that we talk about with many of our clients when it comes time to retirement is you're 65, you still have an RSP, you don't need the money, but you have no other source of pension income. Why wouldn't you convert a portion of your RSP to a RIF a little bit early, so you have to do it at the end of the age you turn 71, but let's do it at age 65. Then what we do is we take out $2,000 a year and claim the pension credit. 
and that's worth around four hundred dollars a year, depending on uh, you know depending on uh, on the different situations. So, I mean, this is a valuable credit that some people could be missing. That's free four hundred dollars, Popovich. I like free. Yeah, that's uh, and, and, I like tax And you're free. close to sixty five, so you should be thinking Gee, about this. Jeez, why so mean this morning? <laughs> <laughs> what some people will do is they'll plan in advance, right? And they'll take out, you know, seven years worth, age 65 to age 71. And uh, they'll put in like, you know, $14,000 into a riff at 65 and then take out 2000 bucks a year, yeah. every year, and be able to claim that pension credit. And obviously it doesn't apply if you already have a pension from somewhere else. But, you know, Canada Pension Plan does not qualify uh, for the pension credit. So we need other types of, of pension income, and that's why I think that's a good plan. Other credits, like age credit, I think are pretty automatic. If you're using tax software or a tax preparer, um, you'd be able to claim the age credit. Again, not not to be overlooked, you're looking at about $1,600 a year uh, just with the federal and, and provincial age credit. So you know, I think that's something that obviously uh, retirees can also count on in, in retirement. Can you walk through, I think, I, your, your whole uh, research and your whole report that you did um, I took that information and, and presented it to the uh, CP Rail pensioners here in Calgary. And many of them, Jamie, had no idea about the income splitting capabilities mm-hmm. in retirement. So how about we That's educate the That's probably the biggest people? one. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I would say that if you've got a spouse or a partner living common law or married and, uh, and you're in retirement and you've got this pension, then the opportunity to split that pension income up to 50% of it with your spouse or partner is a tremendous opportunity. I mean, we're talking potentially thousands of dollars a year. And and the reason for that, there's actually a few reasons. The first reason, of course, is that we pay tax in Canada at graduated rates. In other words, the higher your income, the higher your rate. So just looking at federal rates, we start at 15% for income up to about 47,000. We go up to 20%, all the way up to you know 33% at the high end, and you add the provincial rates on top of that. But imagine if you're the sole pensioner and you're a couple, and your other spouse or partner has very little income, the ability to move some of the income from your return to your spouse or partner's return can actually save you $1,000 a year in just pure income tax. But that's not all. Because in addition to being able to reduce income tax, you may also be able to reduce your income which is used to calculate various government benefits. So there are a bunch of benefits that are income tested, that are are, are based on you know on based on income. And if you can move, uh, bene- you can move your pension income from your spouse to your partner or other spouse's income, you may be able to preserve benefits. So you know these are things like you know guaranteed income supplement, OAS, the age credit. These are all income tested. So if you can reduce your income, we've seen situations where clients have actually saved thousands of dollars a year in increased old age security because they no longer get clawed back because they've now moved half the pension income to their spouse. Mm -hmm. And I think what people need to also understand, Jamie, is that that pension splitting is done on your income tax and they get confused with CPP pension sharing. Absolutely. So maybe touch on CPP Yeah, huge source of confusion because, in fact, in our survey, one-third of people uh, responded to our survey thought that they could actually split uh, their old-age security uh, with a spouse or partner. Um, with CPP, you can share it, but it has to be done at source. In other words, you have to apply to the government and elect to combine both of you and your partner's CPP, and then it's split at source, 
and you each receive the money. Whereas, absolutely, with pension income splitting, uh, that's just simply a, a mathematical calculation. It's an election that's done on your tax return when you file your return. So two very different concepts. And we found in our survey that Canadians were not fully aware of how those rules work. And I think one thing that we have to kind of clarify for people, because this came up in the, my presentation, was that when you're doing pension splitting on your income tax, you can change that number year over year. So you can split up to 50% or go to, down to zero every year based upon some tax strategy or planning. When you do uh, CPP sharing, that is a set it and forget it done. Once you've done it, you cannot reverse it. Am I correct with that? Well, no, I think you can go back and, and cancel it, but it can. It's not something that you do on your own. Right. Correct. In other you words, have to go back. Not yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So you have to do a formal process with uh, with the government of Canada. Whereas you're absolutely right with pension income splitting. You're filing the return every year. As long as you both agree and both sign off on it, then every year can be a totally different game. You don't even have to figure it out until you file your return. So much easier to do the pension splitting. And, and by the way, with pension splitting, there's no physical transfer of cash. With CPP pension sharing, there is a physical transfer of cash from the government. The government will actually direct that cash to each of you. With pension splitting, you're both agreeing to do it just for tax purposes, but there's no real transfer of cash unless the spouses want to actually transfer the money to each other. So, Dave, we have to go to a commercial break. I want to uh, give the opportunity for all of our listeners. If you if you want the details of this retiring right, understanding the taxation of retirement income uh, document package that, that Jamie has put together with his team, uh, reach out to us at morethanmoneyradio.ca. Ask for retiring right, and we will email you this package directly to your inbox so you have an idea of not only the survey results, but some good information as well. Yeah, we want to thank you again, Jamie, for taking some time out of your busy schedule to join us today. Always a pleasure. Thanks, guys. Been joined by Jamie Golombek, Managing Director, Tax and Estate Planning at CIBC. Um, we've got a seminar coming up where we're going to be talking about this and how to properly plan for retirement. Make sure you've got enough cash for the last of lifetime. Yeah, that'll be on Tuesday, March 26th at the Four Points Sheraton Hotel in the west side of Calgary. Our 7 p.m. session is now full. You can register for our 8.30 session by giving us a call, 966-8400. That's 966-8400. Or register online at morethanmoneyradio.ca. Have you been sold a bill of goods on retirement? We'll stick around for the next segment because we're going to talk about that point. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Um, Good show, man. The, well, I bet we've got uh, lots of people thinking about stuff. Some will be angry at us. Some will be uh, praising the message. Some will be Everybody will be angry at as you. As long as everybody's talking, right? I think that's uh, <laughs> that's really important. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyways, um, I want to talk about um, all of this provides context, but I want to talk about this whole notion of, uh, of retirement, whether we've been sold a, a bill of goods. Okay. And I want to go back to a very popular ad. I don't know. It's got to be 25 years ago. Freedom 55. Oh, yeah. Right? And this is just the concept that you're talking about. That's right. Not just this idea itself. of Freedom 55. It was, it was a brilliant message. It was short, sweet, touched emotionally people, inspirationally. It fed the optimism uh, of the baby boom generation as they're growing up, and yep. some of them are, many are past 55 now. And Okay, and, okay. and, and keep on going. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Freedom 55 didn't play out. For a lot of people. For a lot of people, okay. for most people. Okay. And then what happened? Then the, the media, the marketing strategies, these, these institutions came out with, what your dreams will be in retirement. 
and they have people walking. They walk on the beach and sailing boats and all that stuff. Yeah, that, that's probably not true for most people either. And they were they were served a bill of goods. You're saying. Well, I, I think a lot of people feel that way. And I, I'm raising that. Um, we often do a water cooler thing, right? I had lots of conversations. And I'm not just talking about last week. But there seems to be a recurring theme there. And sometimes there's disappointment, right? I, you know, this was, a, this was a given, right? So whatever that messaging was was effective. And it, it was a given. I'm going to be able to retire at age 55. And now I'm past 55. And I can't retire. And I'm still worried about whether I can retire, right? Um, With the lifestyle that I want. I think that's the... Uh Right. And you had an interesting conversation this, this week that sort of that sort of raised this this topic, right? So there's an expectation um, and, and a belief that we should be able to do it. Maybe it's not 55, maybe it's 60, maybe it's 65, something like that. But then we get to a point where we say, this is what I want. And sometimes it, it's not that, right? The lifestyle I want, maybe. Yeah. Maybe there has to be some changes or adjustments yeah. or whatnot, right? Yeah. Um, one of the problems I had maybe with from an industry perspective about the messaging was that there were some very aggressive... We do, we do a lot of, of lifestyle and retirement planning. Correct. Back in the day, when this message was put out, a lot of very aggressive assumptions being made about what rates of return you can get and taxation and how inflation was going to impact that. Um, and those didn't play out necessarily. Right? So uh, the the thing I want to talk about is 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 expectations. Right? Um, we think that, that the narrative around the lifestyle that you want to leave is critically important. That's that's the vision. That's the goal, right? Okay. That each of our CEO families brings in. The the first piece of business that we have to do is we have to determine the mathematical probability, okay, the success rate that that's going to have. That's what was missed, right? Over the years, people have been doing financial plans. Advisors have been saying you can retire, or you people haven't been taking a, a proper audit of how much they need in retirement, right. and when they start crunching the numbers. It was, yeah, you can do it. And they've been told, you can do it. Just continue doing what you're doing. Everything right. will work itself out. You'll be fine. Right. And what the, the two things didn't happen. They didn't review the strategy as things changed over the last 25, 30 years. Mm-hmm. And they haven't run the probabilities that things could go wrong. Yeah, I'm going to add a third one to that. Because I, I think a lot of the planning work that was done uh, back in the day, and maybe still today, I, I don't know. That's not what we do. But it's been based on planning what the best case scenario looks like. Not a conservative case. Nobody's unhappy with the best case scenario. It looks great. Correct. But what people need to understand is not just the probability of success, but we need to take a look at where the thing breaks down. What has to happen for this to break down and what's the range of spending? Nobody spends X amount of dollars every single month and it's the same number or very few people do. Um, So it's it's all of these things combined and, and I get there's a collective sense that Jeez, maybe I was sold a bill of goods here. It hasn't quite worked out that way. And what yeah. did I do wrong? Yeah, and- they told me I could retire. If right. I just contributed to my RSPs X dollars per month for right. the rest of my career, right. I could retire. And now I'm here, right. and I have no idea if I can retire. And Faisal, you just did some number crunching for me, right. and you're saying, yeah, it might not work out the way I thought. Right. So, um, you know, that, that that's not a good feeling. For people, now it's not dire. I think we. I, I did, no, I'm not here, sort of uh, fear mongering, right? But no, the, but no. the. I did want to address that um, that emotional element of it, and I think that we have to bring it back to a sense of of reality. We have to actually do some formal planning, right? It can't be just the back of the napkin, right? So it can't. You know, the, it can't even be a quick calculation at a at a, at a no, computer correct, terminal correct, saying correct. put these numbers in and boom, yeah, you can do it. Rule of seventy two. Right? If I get a 10% rate of return, I can double my money every seven years. Everybody yeah. knows that, right? 
But boy, if you go back and you do the probability of success <laughs> of a 10% compounded rate of return over that period One of time, in three. it's One very in low. Three. 35% chance. Yeah, roughly. it's very low. It's oh. very low. So <laughs> education becomes important. Expectations become important. And conservative, like when you're planning, again, I think we have to take a realistic conservative estimates. Okay? And if it's better than that, excellent. Everybody's happy. So I think what the learning outcome from this conversation and what we, we talked to some clients this week was you need to have conservative assumptions. You need to stress test your retirement to see what could go wrong. If you can protect the downside, then you can enjoy everything else. Okay. But if you're given an, a plan that says this is what you're going to hit and it's all rosy, well, then you're never going to be ready for what could go wrong. Well, and here's the thing I want to add to it, and this kind of comes from the conversation that you and I had in follow-up to a meeting that you'd had, is often we're in a position where we are res uh, respectfully helping clients or working with clients deconstruct the assets that they've accumulated in their lifetime as they've been building their wealth. Yes. And then respectfully reconstruct those assets in a way that supports their new goals and objectives because things change when you move into retirement. Correct. Right? So it doesn't it, – and that change – sorry, I, just, I guess this is my last point. The change is uncomfortable. Oh, is it ever. Right? So I'm going through a change in my career and I'm getting into retirement and, boy, now I've got to reconsider how, what I own and in what structure I own them and how I have to reconfigure things. And what right? I've it, done. Can be, yep. it can be daunting, right? Yep, it, can be, it can be scary. So, um, in fact, next week – uh, I think it's next show, next week, we're going to be bringing on a psychologist to help us understand some of that dynamic of that change, what to expect and how to do it. I think if it's not next week's show, it's going to be the week after. But this is becoming an important piece that people have to get a hold of. Yeah. Now, and I think we need to explain this more, go into more detail, talk about stress testing and, and managing your portfolio and bulletproofing your retirement. We're going to do that on Tuesday, March 26th. 8.30 p.m. at the Four Points Sheraton Hotel in West Calgary. Give us a call to register, 966-8400. That's 966-8400 or register online at morethanmoneyradio.com. Okay, we hope you enjoyed the show uh, this week. Before we sign off, I just want to remind you that you can access any of the segments today or past segments at morethanmoneyradio.com. We can have them directly delivered to you by searching for More Than Money CHQR on Apple Podcast or in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of More Than Money on 770 CHQR. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.